Welcome everyone to the Elevating Your Potential podcast, where we're enlightening middle school and high school student athletes about the realities of college sports. We have another great show for you today. Um, today we're going to talk about a topic that isn't talked about enough, um, and we need to go in more detail about that, and that is career development, like creating your resumes, cover letters, interview prep, and a lot of other facets that aren't really talked about maybe in your schools um, or really in life in general. Um, so we have a great guest who's helped me personally with my resume. I know that she'll give a lot of insight to you all as student athletes. Um, her name is Kristen. Kristen, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, yes. I'm excited about this um, because, like I've been saying, we're going to talk about this a lot more. Um, so can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what you currently do? Sure. So like Jermaine said, my name is Kristen Smart, and currently I serve as the Associate Director of Career Development at Southern Methodist University. So um, I have been here for about three years now, um, and I work with all um, college students, regardless of major or year in school. We also work with graduate students and alumni as well. So um, I've definitely worked with a lot of different students trying to do a lot of different things with their lives. So we provide guidance on pretty much every aspect of career development, whether that is having your resume reviewed, like Jeremiah said, or, you know, networking, informational interviews, mock interviews, getting that job. So pretty much everything, anything and everything we help with. <laughs> yes, I love that. I love it. Um, and so just starting out, can you tell us a little bit why you think career development might be a topic that's not talked about um, in society or in, specifically in schools? Yeah, so it's so important, and I think it's almost overlooked because of how important it is, right? Like, it's, it's everywhere. Everyone knows that you're going to have a job at some point, and hopefully you have a successful career, but I think because it's so inherent that everyone will do it, we just kind of assume, oh, everyone knows how to do it, right? Like, everyone has a job, so we'll figure it out. Um, and so I think people just overlook it for that reason. Like, I'll figure it out when I get there, and they don't think about um, career development as a process, right? It's not something that happens overnight or you just apply to a job and, you know, snap your fingers and you have it. Mm -hmm. And so people forget the fact that, you know, there's so many steps that I'm sure we'll get into in this podcast that go into it that lead up to getting that job or having yes. that career you want. So um, I think we talk a lot about jobs and not as much about the process of how you get there. Yes, and we will certainly begin to a lot of the process. Um, and so with career development comes the career. And so I don't know if this might not be your exact area of expertise, but let's say we have a student that's coming in um, as a freshman and they are trying to decide what their major needs to be. Like, what are some things that you kind of walk through to help a student um, realize like, maybe what career path they should take in terms of their major? Yeah. Um, so I, when someone comes in freshman year and they don't know what they want to major in, I usually try to start with the end goal and work our way backwards. Um, if you have some sort of idea of what you'd like to do as a job, you know, is it, you know, working with people? Is it preferring to be alone? Do you um, enjoy being outdoors? Do you want to sit behind a desk? Do you like to travel? Do you want to work with animals? Like if you can narrow down or even have a few specific things that you think you might like about your future career, mm -hmm. that can really spark the conversation and, and we can go from there. Because um, one thing I really try to help students understand is there's very few careers that are going to go from point A to point B, straight line with nothing in the middle. So um, an example of that might be, well, I'm going to major in accounting because I want to be an accountant. Well, that's pretty straightforward, but most people's careers don't look like that. Um, I mean, if you think about someone who 
you know, a politician, they could have majored in anything from psychology to philosophy to business to um, mechanical engineering, right? Like there is no straightforward path for that. Um, and that's just one of millions of careers that don't have a straightforward path. So um, I think that's the thing I try to reiterate a lot is you also want to study what you enjoy. Um, it may seem like the career is the end goal, and it is, but four years is a long time to be miserable if you hate what yes. you're studying. Um, and there's all sorts of pressures to pick certain majors or study certain things if your parents want you to study something or, um, you know, everyone in your family goes into a certain industry, right? Like there's all sorts of other factors that come into play into choosing a major. So um, I think that's one thing I would, if you're just starting out, I would say, try to identify what some of those pressures are because that can help you figure out like, what do I actually want to do versus what other people around me in my life are telling me I should do or have to do. Um, and then add in those components of when you think about that future career, what is involved, and then we can work our way back to choosing the major. Right. Oh, that's so good. I want to kind of continue this conversation that you started. So how much of a factor, or which one factors more when you're talking about enjoyment and mm -hmm. something that, I mean, like your livelihood and making um, an income and different things like that? Yeah, so there's definitely... Um, there's definitely a lot of good resources out there. First of all, if, um, you know, income is obviously very important. It's probably one of the biggest factors why people have yeah. careers in the first place, right? Um, so I, I also don't like to pretend that that's not important because I know it really does matter, right? Like some people, um, you know, are gonna help support families. Some people are gonna have student loans afterwards. And so, you know, what their income is afterwards is a big concern. So there are certain careers that do get paid more than others, right? So mm -hmm. if income is important to you, well, maybe you want to think about like, you know, is something like, let's play, say social work, for example, right? A field that just notoriously doesn't get paid very well, even though it's very fulfilling in a lot of other ways. Um, you know, is that something that, is that trade-off worth it for you? Or is it more important to pick a career that does like traditionally have a better starting salary? Um, and so I think that's an important factor to consider. Um, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, for example, puts out, um, I think almost yearly, if not even updated throughout the year, statistics on average salaries just based on where you're living. Um, Glassdoor is another great resource for that if you want to look into it as well, just to see kind of average salaries for jobs. Um, but I, I think that's a tricky thing to balance, like the enjoyment and the income, kind of getting back to your main question. Because um, like I said, you don't want to be miserable for four years, and, and there might be some ways to study what you enjoy and still get to that high paying salary job that you're looking for, right? Um, it's not a magic bullet. I think a lot of people think, oh, I'll go to college and I'll, I'll walk out making six figures. Um, and that is a very, very small percentage of people that yes. that happens to. And so knowing it, it is a journey too, right? Like you may not start out with that salary you want, but you can work your way there. Um, and kind of getting back to that major question of, you know, maybe it's less a matter of what you're studying. Again, like, there's not a specific straightforward career path you need. Um, it's more about the networking that you do while you're in school, right? Mm -hmm. Like setting yourself up well at companies that you, you've looked into, you've done research, you know, they have great job opportunities with great salaries when you start out. Well, whether you're studying psychology or um, business management, like you might be able to work there with either degree. And so that's something, if you start the process early and you look into certain companies and see who they hire and what they value and um, start networking, you can have that opportunity regardless of your major as well. Yeah, for sure. And that's so good. And so you're saying things I want to leave right into. So you're talking yeah. about networking. How does one begin to start networking um, in, the, in the field of choice after they make that decision? 
Yeah. So it might look a little bit different depending on, you know, if you're going straight from high school into the working world or if you are attending a university before going into that. So um, I'll speak a little bit more on the university side just because that's the environment I work in. But um, the good thing is almost all universities have career centers like we do here at FMU um, that provide opportunities for students. So um, there is never a better time to network than when you are a student. It will never be easier. The opportunities will never be as straightforward and presented to you in such like a easy to digest fun way. Um, so career centers often do things, for example, at SMU, we put on a ton of info sessions. We bring companies in and they spend an hour just talking about what they do, the types of roles they offer, um, how students can get involved with that company. And so that's a simple, easy way to get to know a recruiter or someone who works at that organization. Um, you can attend career fairs. Every school puts on career fairs. It could be um, based on the school, it might be separated out by major or career path, but attending as many of those types of events as you can. Um, and then, you know, regardless of what type of events your university is putting on, just doing the networking yourself as well. I mean, there's great tools like LinkedIn that anyone can access and go on there and, um, you know, see who works at certain companies and send messages to people to introduce yourself. So I think the, the biggest thing people miss is the follow-up piece of networking, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, a lot of times people think, oh, I'm just networking just to get a job. Um, and I really try to educate students that it's more about um, creating real relationships. Like instead of this transactional, like I introduce myself to you, you give me a job and then we move on and we never talk again. Um, you're obviously networking to get that first job, but then most people won't stay at their first job for more than a few years, right? And so you want to have as many connections as possible to just continue to grow in your career even after you get that first job. So trying to think of networking more so as just relationship building, like mm -hmm. get to know people at certain companies, figure out why they enjoy doing what they do. Um, you know, when we're past the age of COVID, you know, take them out and buy them a cup of coffee and just ask if you can, you know, ask a few questions about their day-to-day -day and their jobs. Um, so moving beyond just, um, I attend an event, you give me a job to building relationships is definitely like the, the way to network. Yeah, great. I love that. Um, you're giving really good um, advice now. I want to see if, so what you're telling me sounds a lot for those people who might be extroverts. Mm. So just going out, meeting someone, shaking their hand, like it takes a lot of courage and boldness. Is there anything you can give to the introverts to help out or are they just going to have to get out their shell and make it work? Um, a little bit of both. So um, I can definitely speak to both sides of it. So I think um, the world can definitely be set up for extroverts sometimes, right? Like everyone has to network regardless if you're introverted or extroverted. And so I know that can be intimidating for some of the introverts out there. But um, I think there's just some tips to think about, like when you're attending a networking event that can make things a little bit easier, right? Like if you are a little bit more uncomfortable doing that, do you have a friend that can go with you, right? It's a lot easier to meet people when you have one person by your side and you guys can both introduce yourselves and, and take turns with the conversation. That can be super helpful. Um, another thing to think about is if you're doing informational interviews, which when I talk about, you know, taking someone out for a cup of coffee or and asking them about their day-to-day -day and what their work looks like. That's, that's what we call an informational interview. If you think about it, um, it's much more about asking questions and listening and responding. And it's less about, you know, the impetus isn't as much on the person doing the question asking, right? Like, it's really just about being a good listener. So if you're sitting there thinking like, oh, I'm an introvert, like that makes me so uncomfortable to talk about myself. 
well, if you can get past the introduction and just telling, you know, who you are, then it's really going to be more about them. You know, the good news is a lot of people do enjoy talking about themselves. And so if you can kind of, you know, have a few good questions prepared, that can be helpful to walk into those situations too. You know, it's not silly or stupid to write down a few questions ahead of time and try and like store those in your memory. So if, if things get uncomfortable or awkward, you have some stuff in your back pocket that you can always ask about. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Those are really good tips. Um, so I want to go back really quick. So are there resources that you trust and that um, are kind of widespread to help someone? You know, there's a lot of like tests out here to see what what career path you should choose, like these career tests. Is there something that our students can use right now to um, see what they might be interested in? Or do you just not, do you not agree, agree with using those at all? So there's a lot of great tests and resources out there. Um, some of them you pay for, some are free online. So I think some of the most common ones people might know about are you know, Myers-Briggs, for example, is really big. Um, Strong Interest Inventory is another. Um, Holland's Codes is a, a way to kind of categorize certain careers that you might be interested in. So there's a lot of great ones out there. The caveat I, I tell people is, they're not magic eight balls, right? You can't take the test. It's gonna, it's not gonna spit out one career that is the thing that you absolutely, oh, I, I never would have thought of that. That's my dream career, right? I think that's what our hope is, that, mm. that a tool can read us that well and know exactly what would make us happy. Um, but really what those tools are doing is more so taking big picture aspects about yourself, like your personality or your interests or um, what you, your skills are and sorting different careers that might fit better with those. So um, I tell people, if, if you take tests like that, and, and we do have some like that that we offer students here, is have someone you can talk it through with afterwards or try to sit down yourself and think through like, okay, maybe it's less about the fact that I got this certain test result telling me I should be an accountant, right? Maybe that's just indicating to me, okay, well maybe I really enjoy organization and I'm really detail oriented or um, maybe you answered questions that said, you know, I, I prefer to work alone. I don't really want to have a lot of like interaction with others, right? Sometimes that's more the day-to-day -day life of an accountant. So trying to think more like big picture about what that, those test results might be telling you to think through how that might fit with other careers. So unfortunately there is not yet been created a test that can tell us exactly what we should do. But really, if you do take some of those, because they're, they're fun and it can give you new ideas to think about and research, um, just try and take more of the big picture of you and think of the themes that you can pull out from that. Yeah, I like the idea of themes. I've never heard it put that way before. And I wish I kind of knew that before. <laughs> it would have helped me out a lot sooner. Um, so thank you for that. Um, let's start talking about like practical um, things like a resume. So when someone is building a resume, let's say, let's start out with someone, let's start out with a high school student or a college student who has no experience. How do they create a resume of any sort? Yeah, so I will bypass that question and then circle back to it. The okay. first thing I tell people, because that happens, right? Like you come in freshman year and you're, you haven't really done much of anything. You weren't super involved in high school. You don't have much on the resume. That's okay, don't panic, right? Like there's still plenty of time in your life to get stuff but get involved. So first step is if you're in high school and you're thinking like, man, I have to create a resume and I have no idea what to put on there. Maybe that's an indicator that you should join something at your school, right? Like maybe you should join a club or run for student council or, you know, join an athletic organization, whatever that is. Um, and same if you're in college, but you know, maybe you're already here, maybe you're a senior graduating and you need to make a resume for college. Well, 
even if you don't have a lot going on, maybe you haven't, you know, had any professional experience or haven't been as involved um, on campus, you know, hopefully you have one thing to put on there. Maybe if, you know, you, you aren't involved in anything, but you've been a student athlete all of high school, right? Put your, that experience. I think a lot of people overlook what they've done um, and don't put it on their resume. So, you know, you always want to put things that everyone is involved in, right? Like we all go to school. So what classes have you taken? Did you take any AP courses? Um, you know, were you a part of any honor societies or organizations? Um, you know, did you work part-time and have a part-time job? Maybe a lot of times people overlook that. They think, oh, it wasn't really important that I was, you know, I like delivered pizzas, right? But that shows dedication and hard work to manage that on top of your courses. Um, uh, like I mentioned earlier, like being a student athlete, that's actually really impressive um, to both colleges and employers because they know how much time student athletes have to dedicate on top of everything else they've got on their plate, right? So right. it shows their ability to multitask and like juggle multiple things at the same time and like work under pressure. So um, oftentimes it's rarely do I meet people who really have done nothing and don't have anything to put on their resume. And it's more about how can you take what you have done and really articulate it in a way that shows what you've done? Because I think people sell themselves short a lot and don't recognize what they've actually been able to accomplish. So yeah. everyone's resume might look a little bit different depending on what they've been involved in, but those are just some things to think about to get started. Right. And to follow that up, how do we go about like creating the style and the format of the resume? I know there's a lot of different theories out there. What would you say, especially for the students that we're speaking to right, uh, right now? Yeah, so I think that the biggest thing I would say is you want to try to appeal to a broad audience, right? Like if you're applying to a college or a job, um, you know, maybe someone might appreciate those fun pops of color or that fun font you use, but maybe others wouldn't, right? So if you try and think about trying to appeal to the broadest audience, you probably want to keep your resume pretty straightforward and traditional. So um, the biggest thing I, any student I've worked with will probably tell you that I hammer on about is consistency. So, um, you know, don't use one font here and another font here and don't use lines here and then use bullet points here. Be consistent with whatever format you do choose and kind of some just tips and tricks to think about um, I mean, typically we always recommend black font. It's always easiest to read for people. Um, keep it to one page. Um, most people can fit their resume onto one page. There may be some exceptions to that, but if you can, that's always helpful. Um, 12 point font is really nice. It's easy to read, but it allows you to put lots of information on the page. Um, and then make sure your margins are aligned on either side of the page. So some sentences don't end midway through and the others carry on all the way to the end of the page. So just some little things I think can really help spruce up a resume. Um, and as much as I want to say, unleash your creative talents, um, there may be some situations where that's applicable. But if I'm giving just general advice, I'd say keep it pretty, pretty traditional. You don't, you don't really want your resume to stand out in a bad way. Got you. Got you. Those are really good tips. Um, so how much, how big are, yes, how big are sticklers are um, colleges and jobs about making sure that you're consistent throughout your resume? Yeah, so again, it might be kind of hit or miss, but that's why I say it's always important to just be consistent for that reason, right? Mm -hmm. Someone might be like, oh, I understand, like, you know, spelling's hard for me or like grammar's hard for me. So I, I sometimes mess up where I put things. Other people may not have any grace for that, right? And they might be like, they might see one comma out of place or 
um, one font a different size to be like, well, you're an easy resume for me to just toss out because I've got hundreds of others laying here to look through. So that's kind of why I say, you know, if, if you're going to spend time on something, especially with a resume that's you could use over and over and over again, um, you want to spend a lot of time on that to make it as consistent and as error-free as possible. Like no one's perfect. That's why I always suggest have someone else look over your resume. You know, if you're a student and you have a guidance counselor or a teacher or a parent who can help you look that through, we all look at our own resume so many times that, you know, you start to kind of go blind to your own errors. You've read it so many times, you just miss that extra word that's in there, or you don't even realize you spelled that word wrong because, you know, Microsoft Office didn't catch it for you. So um, I would say it is more important than not. I would say more people are probably going to be sticklers than are going to you know, give you some grace because they don't, they don't realize, you know, they don't see the person behind the resume, right? That's all they have to go off of is the resume. So you want to make sure you're putting your best foot forward, showing you have attention to detail. Um, you can, you know, create something really professional and organized and nice. So definitely try and get that second set of eyes on the resume. Perfect. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And so not only do you have the resume that you have to do, you have to do a cover letter. So what is a cover letter and why is that something that needs to be in like an application package? Yeah, so a cover letter is basically your sales pitch of why you are the best candidate for whatever it is that you're applying to. So a resume is gonna be pretty standardized, right? We write bullet points that, you know, they start with verbs, it's not really complete sentences, you don't get to add a lot of details, you're just kind of putting the main highlights of what you did in that job. Well, a cover letter gets to take that information, gets to take that piece of who you are and what you've done, and then combine it with and why that makes you the best fit for the role you're applying for now. So it's a chance to show to employers that you've done your research, you know what you're applying for and why you're interested in working for that company. Um, and then you can pair that with, and here's my skill set, here's what I've done through these jobs or these organizations, these experiences, and how I can bring these and they align really well with the job that I'm applying for and what I wanna do at this company for you. Um, and it's also a time just to, you know, again, show off another layer of that professionalism, right? Like, can you write a well-constructed, um, you know, it's not very long, so, you know, about three paragraphs of why you're interested in that job or company. So it's a little bit more of a chance to show off your personality, your writing style, um, and all of those pieces, whereas the resume can be a bit more structured. So um, I know that can seem daunting the first go around, but similarly to a resume, if you create one, you have a template that you can use for all other future cover letters. You're obviously gonna change out company names and jobs you're applying for and all of that, um, but it can kind of serve as a guidepost for what you do moving forward. And they are super important, unfortunately. Um, I know a lot of people think, oh, I'll just apply to that job and just submit my resume because they said the cover letter is optional. Um, I usually tell people, if you want the job, the cover letter is not optional. Because again, it's kind of like having an error on the resume, right? If someone sees that, they can be like, eh, well, I'll just, I'll easily toss this one out because I have a hundred other resumes to look through. It's the same with the cover letter. You know, if 70% of people applying for that job submitted a cover letter and 30% didn't, well, that's a pretty easy, like pretty good way to get rid of 30% of the candidates. Because um, if you're a recruiter or you're someone looking to fill a role, you have to go through a lot, a lot of resumes um, and cover letters. So you really want to put your best foot forward with that and show them why you're the best person for the job and make a convincing narrative for that. For sure. And I want to continue with that thought as well. So outside of the resume cover letter, how else can we put ourselves in the best position to look the best we can uh, for 
the potential our potential employer? Yeah. So there's a few things you can do um, before and after that can really help with job applications. So I'll circle back to the networking piece. So if you are thinking about a job or you're thinking a certain company sounds interesting, start the process early. So do an informational interview like I was talking about earlier. Find a few people at that company. You know, you can find them through the company website. You can go to LinkedIn and start reaching out to them. Um, you know, not to say, hey, I'm applying for this job. Can you refer me? Or, hey, can you give me this job? But more so to get to know them a little bit better. Ask them, you know, what their role looks like. Why do they enjoy working at the company? Like I said, again, like building that relationship. Um, and then you can let them know that you applied like later on down the road, right? And they can serve as that referral, but you want to avoid kind of asking for that off the bat. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of a, a before step you can do. And then some other pieces um, just with applications and interviews and stuff is always follow up. So when you submit a job application, you want to try to find the name of the recruiter or the person who might be overseeing that role. And you want to send an email letting them know that you applied. Um, we, we kind of have a saying here, a lot of times what happens is you fill out a job application and we call it the black hole of applications. You never hear back. You don't even get rejected. You just never hear back. Mm -hmm. And that usually means your resume is sitting in a stack and hasn't even been looked at. So to avoid that, what you want to do is follow up and just send an email, you know, really polite, really professional. Again, you want to double check everything spelled right and looks perfect because this is a, a way you can either make a good or bad impression. But um, and just let them know you applied, let them know why you're interested, thank them for their time and attach your resume. So it's just an additional way to get your name and your resume in front of someone's face who may be able to help you get that role. And then last but not least, if you do get an interview for that role, always make sure you're following up with a thank you email um, to each of the interviewers that you interviewed with afterwards, because that can really help again, just show up that added level of professionalism and courtesy after the interview. Okay. Yeah, that's perfect. That's really, really, really good. Um, so, sorry, taking one step back. So, before we apply and we see like a job that we're looking for, like online or anywhere, do we have to check every box on that job description to say that we, um, before we apply, or like how does that work? Can we have 85%, 50%? How does that work? Yeah. That's a really good question. This is another place where I see people selling themselves short. They think, oh, well, um, they see it's, it's an entry-level job, but it requires one to three years of experience um, in this specific field doing the specific thing. And they think, well, I, you know, I've only worked part-time, and it, and it was in a kind of a related field, and I worked part-time for two years, so they don't bother applying. Mm -hmm. um, and what I tell people is, you know, you really want to think through how your experience is transferable to that. And um, the odds are there aren't that many candidates who fit every single requirement on every part of that job description, right? There may be a few, but not very many. So most people applying are people who are in the same position. Like maybe they meet 80%, maybe they meet 75%. Um, and so it's definitely still worth applying, even if you don't check every single box. Um, the caveat to that, obviously, is you don't want to blatantly lie. If they ask, you know, do you have three years of experience in commercial real estate? And you don't. You're never going to check yes to that box. Um, but if it's something that, you know, if you put your years of working part time or, you know, you haven't worked in this type of business, but you worked in another type of business that's related. Well, then, yeah, I would say that's pretty good transferable experience and would, it would hit that bullet point. So I would say 75 is probably a good metric to think about when you're trying to meet the required qualifications or preferred qualifications. Sometimes they're called. Um, and then what's really helpful is 
oftentimes on job applications, you'll get a series of questions before you even really get to start the application. And it will ask, you know, do you have this? Yes or no. Do you meet this? Yes or no. Maybe there's five of those questions. Those are probably what the employer really cares about and is really looking for if they're going to consider you for that role. So if you don't meet maybe those five questions they ask at the beginning, it might be worth applying or you may want to save your time and focus somewhere elsewhere because I know how time consuming the job applications can be. So you want to be strategic and not be applying to jobs that you really don't match what they're looking for. Yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect. I just have a couple more questions for you. Um, so let's say we get through the application process and now we're entering the interview stage. How does someone prepare for an interview? How can our students prepare for that first interview they ever receive? Yeah. Um, practice, practice, practice. Okay. Uh, everyone is so, it, it's such a struggle to answer, you know, what, what seems like simple questions, right? Like, tell me about yourself. What are your strengths and your weaknesses? Why do you want this job? When you, you know, when you're sitting there reading those questions, you're like, oh, I, I got that. That's super easy. You know, fast forward to being in the situation with the interviewer, like interviewers across from you and you're getting nervous. All of that just disappears from your mind and you can't remember anything. So you want to practice ahead of time and try to get familiar with um, what are some common questions with behavioral interviews. So behavioral interviews essentially are just, you know, what have you done in the past and how is that going to indicate what you're going to do in the future at this job? So an interviewer might ask something like, you know, tell me about a time when you dealt with conflict. And, and while, yes, they care about the situation you're telling them about, they're really using that to determine, okay, if they did that in the past, that's probably how they're going to handle it at the job that they're applying for. Um, so you can Google around and get some pretty common behavioral interview questions. Um, I mean, LinkedIn always has great articles and can be a good resource. Another cool um, site and tool is, I think I mentioned Glassdoor earlier in salary research, but they also have a component where you can see if there's a specific company you're interviewing at, you can actually see questions. They've been um, you know, crowdsourced that people who interviewed at that company said they got asked. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of start to get an idea of what are the common questions there and prepare ahead of time. So um, you know, some of the most common ones are the ones I shared earlier, like tell me about yourself, walk me through your resume, what are your strengths and your weaknesses? Why do you want the job? Why are you the best candidate? Like those are some almost kind of guaranteed you'll get one of those questions in an mm -hmm. interview. So I'm preparing ahead of time, writing down some bullet points. You can even take the notes with you to the interviews. Um, obviously you don't want to be reading off the script, right. but if you're on a Zoom call or if you're sitting across from someone and you have a notepad right next to you, it's no problem to just glance down and be like, oh, okay, right. I was going to talk about that when I was thinking about my weaknesses. Mm -hmm. um, that's always, I mean, it just shows again that you've prepared ahead of time and are, are ready to go. But the biggest thing more than all of that research is just practicing and saying it out loud. You know, practice with a friend, go to your career center, um, ask someone for help, and then even record yourself and listen to your answers back. Um, it's, everyone hates it. It's super painful to listen to yourself talk and to watch yourself on a video, but it can be really helpful because you'll catch yourself. You'll notice the habits that you have. Do you say, um, too many times or do you move your hands too much and it's distracting? There's all sorts of things you figure out when you record yourself and watch it back. So that's a few different tips to practice. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, so let's say this is another underutilized or underthought about portion is you get the job, you only have one interview and they offer you the position. Now it's time to negotiate. What does that process look like? And can I 
negotiate because a lot of times we think about salary, salary, salary. Are there other factors that come to negotiation as well? Yeah. Yeah. So you pretty much there there's obviously gonna be some exceptions, but you pretty much always want to at least try to negotiate, right? It may not always go the exact way that you hope it will or think it will, um, but it's usually worth asking. So like you mentioned, salary is the big one people think about when they think about negotiating. Um, and we can talk about some tips for that. But some other things to just consider is, you know, if it's a full-time job, well, what are the benefits like? You know, how many days off are they going to offer you per year? Um, do you get holidays? What does the sick pay look like? Um, do you, are there any, what if you have a family, right? And maybe your schedule needs to be a little bit different. Do they have any sort of flexible schedule policies or are you allowed to work remotely or do you always need to be in the office? And um, if it's a job where maybe you're out on the road or you need to be using your phone, are they paying for your phone plan? Will they reimburse you for gas? You get a company car. So there's a lot of things that I think people don't consider right off the bat and health insurance, disability, like so many different factors that come to benefit. So your total salary is so much more than just the number that's going to appear on your paycheck every week. So thinking about all of those aspects and what's important to you based on your situation is definitely important. Um, and then when it comes to an actual negotiating part of it, once you get the offer, that's your best time to negotiate. A lot of times people want to ask about salaries or what do the benefits look like before they've even been handed the job. They want to ask about it in the interview because it is really time consuming, right? They don't want to go through a second round of interviews or, or even more if it's not going to be a salary they want. But you want to avoid doing that until you have the offer. Um, and then before you accept the offer, that's when you have the most leverage to negotiate. So um, you can't really, after you've accepted the offer, you kind of lose that power, right? So um, once you get the offer, you usually want to schedule a phone call or, you know, if they prefer email, you can do it that way too, to talk to the person in HR or supervisor and ask about, you know, do your research, figure out what generally the salary is offered for that role, and then try and shoot a little bit above that, right? So if the starting salary is anywhere from 38 to 45, you see that online. Well, maybe you want to ask for 45 to 48, you know, go a little bit higher above what you see is typically offered. Um, and see if they can meet you there. So there's some really nice ways to do it too. I think people hear negotiation, they think, oh, I have to be pushy and rude and all of those things. But, you know, you can really say something like, you know, I'm so excited about this opportunity and this role. I'm really looking forward to working for this organization. And, um, you know, when I saw the salary, I was, I was really hoping it could be closer to this amount. You know, is there any way we could work to get closer to X dollar amount? So, um, Again, practice ahead of time. It can be less awkward if you go in prepared and, and know what you're asking for exactly and what you're looking for. And then you can always take some time to think about it. You don't have to immediately accept um, or immediately, you know, back down if they say, you know, we can't do that. We'll take a minute, right? Say like, okay, you know, let me consider that for a little bit. And I, I know you want to have an answer from me by Monday. Um, I'm going to give you a call. Could I give you a call tomorrow? And we could finish this discussion. So don't get backed into a corner and feel like you have to accept something just because of what you're offered. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. I love it. Um, so I have one more question for you. This has been a great conversation. It's kind of a two-on-one. So I saw that you um, have an expertise in talent development and kind of like leadership development as well. So can you tell um, maybe a student athlete out there or a student, whoever's listening to this, um, how to, to develop their talent and how they can grow as a leader as well? And this can be in any context um, in our lives. Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I 
think the first thing that comes to mind is just not selling yourself short again, right? Like if you are in a certain field or in a certain sport or something like that, you really want to recognize what you have done and be able to articulate that to others, right? So I'm thinking about that in a job context um, specifically, but really being able to articulate, you know, what that talent is, how you've been able to develop that, how you've grown in that over time. Um, and then maybe, maybe if you're starting from the beginning, you know, you, you're just starting in a certain career or sport or something like that. Think through those questions, right? Like, how can you grow? Like, don't just take the easy route and do what's easy because you're good at it and it makes you feel good. What's going to push you out of your comfort zone? Um, we always joke, my, uh, my boss here has a saying, you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable. And I think that's one of the best pieces of advice. There's so much in life that you're not going to be comfortable doing. And so the sooner you can get comfortable being uncomfortable, pushing yourself outside of, you know, what feels easy and natural, that's when you're really going to grow and develop that talent. And I think that, I mean, that applies if you're a student athlete, that applies if you're in a certain job or you want to progress in your career, right? That there's so many areas that applies in. Um, and then same thing with leadership, right? Like you can't grow if you don't try. And so I think you, you should get involved in whatever you're a part of. So you know, you can be a leader, whether you're a member of a team or your team captain, um, but really just kind of taking a hold of that role and figuring out how you can contribute, you know, in that role shows that leadership. There's, there's more to being a leader than just the title that you're given. Um, it's what you bring to the organization from more of like a holistic perspective. But again, I think the more you put yourself out there, the more you put yourself in challenging situations. Um, and go in with an attitude of like, you know, I'm here to learn, I'm here to grow. It might mean I fail. It might mean I look stupid from time to time. That's how you're going to grow in both your talent and as a leader. Okay, perfect. Kristen, I'm so thankful that we have this conversation. You've taught me a lot um, being here. So thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I know our student athletes would definitely appreciate everything that you've given to them. So thank you. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. And everyone else have a great week. Awesome. Thank you. Mm -hmm.